As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Financial Choices Matter. I'm Mark Haywood alongside Charles Scott. He is a fiduciary advisor at Peloton Capital Management, serving you in Scottsdale. Find him online at pelotoncapital.com. That's pelotoncapital.com. Or you can reach out, give Charles a call at 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Charles, welcome back into the podcast. It's been a while. How have you been? It's been great, Mark. Thank you. I'll tell you what, it was interesting. I needed a break, not from you, trust me, just other stuff happening, <laughs> well, thank happening you. in the office. And I miss doing these. So, And we've gotten some positive feedback from folks that have listened to them and people that we send them out to, letting them know that we're doing them. And we've had no idea that they even bothered to take the time, but we've gotten some some positive feedback. It's been fun. I mean, so as I said, I missed it. I'm glad I'm back. And so there's always stuff to talk about. So that's never an issue. Well, we're glad to have you, Charles, and we're glad to have you with us out there listening to this podcast. If you missed it, don't worry, there's more to come. If you didn't miss it and you hated it, then I guess maybe go online to Peloton Capital and complain to Charles, and that'll be the end of me and him. But uh, we hope you don't. We do hope you enjoy this. As always, we've got some great content to bring to you today. Charles, I want to go through some simple retirement questions on the podcast. So some of retirement planning's most important questions seem really simple, right? It should be a yes or a no, or a do this at this age. It should be pretty straightforward. But you will quickly find that they're not. Usually the answers are not a simple yes or no, not as simple as do this at this age. It's pretty tricky, in fact. And so we want to kind of uncover some of the answers to these really pressing questions. And I think you'll find as you listen to this podcast that these are questions that you have brought to us. You've brought into Charles's office. That's why we do this. From time to time, we just put segments together with some of the popular issues that folks are facing. So as an example, to kick us off here, social security, specifically when to take it. That's something that you would think, oh, it's simple. I'm going to take it early or I'm going to wait or I'm going to take it right at 65. But it's actually not that simple. Explain why, Charles. You understated how not that simple it actually is. <laughs> it's got, it's, there's a ton of moving parts and well, full retirement age for most people right now is 66 or 67. I'm not going to go into the history of Social Security because we don't have time today, but you can take it as early as 60. And in some extenuating circumstances, I mean, 62 is the normal early retirement age. There are some extenuating circumstances where you can take it at 60, but that's a very small percentage. So you're either looking at 62 or like, say, 66 is your full retirement age, or you can wait till 70. And there's no benefit in waiting till 70 because your benefit doesn't get any bigger beyond that point in time. But what happens is if people say, well, I'm going to take it at 62 because I can. But what happens is you end up at that taking approximately a 30 percent cut in your Social Security benefit for the rest of your life. Now, if you need it, you need to do it. And that's why you this Social Security timing question 
ends up being a, an integral part of the conversations we have with folks all the time is like, how, what are your circumstances? You know, did your family all die early? So your, your life expectancy is probably shorter. So maybe it would be advantageous to take it sooner. But if you can wait and the longer that you can wait, the better it is, because if you can wait till 70, because you don't need it, then what you've done is every year between your full retirement age, which for this example, I'm just using at 66, you get an 8% increase in your benefit every year, plus the potential of a cost of living increase. So you've got 32% guaranteed more money coming to you at 70 than you would have gotten at age 66. And you've got more coming at 66 than you would have had coming at 62. So there's a huge difference between that eight year span between 62 and 70 as far as, you know, it's almost half as much more if you can wait. And then having said that in the simplest terms that I possibly can, then there's a whole bunch of different variations off of that. So you really need to sit down with somebody that knows social security inside out. In our office, that's Sherry. Anybody that's ever met us, no, she's the better half. She's the social security <laughs> expert. She's also my wife and partner here. And she's studied this stuff inside out, backwards and forwards. And you can't stump her, but if you can, she knows people in social security, then we'll go find the answer. So you'd love it to be simple. It's just not, but it, it doesn't have to be that complicated, but it's certainly dependent on your specific situations as all good financial planning should be dependent on your situation and circumstances. I like that you note that Sherry is, in fact, the better half. As long as you do that, you're on the right track, Charles. And it is. It's a complicated topic. I remember my parents going through this decision a few years back, and there are just so many factors that go into it. I mean, you don't know what life will bring, and so I think that is important that you work with an expert to do it. And in your office, that's Sherry. It's not you. So go to Sherry when you're discussing Social Security. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk now about designing a truly diversified portfolio. Again, this is one that you may think, oh, it's easy. Just put it in stocks, bonds, mutual funds. But you know, what does that even mean? I mean, you're, oftentimes we find so many people are investing in the same things over and over and over again, simply because the fund has a different name. So let's talk about what it takes to truly diversify a portfolio. Well, I'm going to oversimplify it for starters. And I'm going to say there are, and you mentioned two of the three, there are only three basic asset classes, stocks, bonds, and cash. You could throw real estate in there if you wanted to own physical real estate you know, but from a securitization point of view, the investment port things that you're thinking about are stocks, bonds, and cash. Everything else spins off of something from that. You could have a real estate portfolio. Well, that would be stock holdings. You know, you'd own a mutual fund that owns real estate, real estate companies, real estate investment trusts. And I guess the question really becomes, does it have to be more complicated than that? Everybody in the industry tries to make it more complicated than that. And you said something, Mark, that's very true. And that is just because you own a bunch of different mutual funds or exchange traded funds that have different names doesn't mean they own the same thing. I mean, it doesn't mean that they all, all don't own the same thing. They pretty much, depending on the size of the fund and what they do, all own the same stuff. So you could have, and I'm not going to pick on a particular fund family, but you could have four funds, different mutual funds from American funds in your portfolio. And I'll dollars to donuts there that you are going to pretty much own the same thing because that family of mutual funds is so big, they can only buy certain companies. So they own the same stocks. So if you want, you know, if you want growth, you need to own stocks. That's part of the diversification process. If you want to have 
income coming in or some guaranteed more stable kind of investment in a portfolio, then you want the bond side of things. And if you want to have no kind of risk, because bonds still have interest rate risk, but if you don't want any kind of risk, then you're going to have it basically sitting in cash, which would be a proxy, a money market fund would be a proxy. The challenge right now for all of that is that they're not paying any kind of interest. You know, if you get a you know, quarter of a percent in your checking account every year, or you get, you know, three quarters of a percent in a money market fund, that's a pretty good deal. So the diversification thing ends up being, then do you own just U.S. stocks or do you own international stocks? Do you own just U.S. bonds? Do you own international bonds? That's where the diversification becomes more complicated, but it isn't always better. Sometimes the simplest answer is the best answer. And I think from a diversified point of view, you know, you want to have a conversation with folks and say, okay, what do you really want to do? What are you really trying to accomplish? How much do you want to take in your portfolio? But I am not a believer in the standard risk assessment stuff. What's your risk tolerance? To me, uh, we've got a white paper on our website that talks about that. I just, I think it's almost nonsense, not quite, but it's still important to know that you need diversification. It just depends on how you want to define it and then how you want to accomplish what you have chosen to call your definition of diversification. Because there's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. And again, it ends up being personalized for the people. You know, it's not a one size fits all. Nothing in financial planning, candidly, that I can think of. And nothing I realize is an absolute. So I'm still going to stick with nothing is cookie cutter. It shouldn't be because nobody's the same. Sure, of course. Now, let's continue that investing conversation by talking about 401ks specifically. That's a type of investment vehicle, as many of you know. And you can pick different funds within that 401k. Talk about how to pick those funds. It's a great topic. And there, it's fascinating that this was on the list of stuff that we wanted to talk about today because our experience has been people have no idea how to do it. If I offend anybody out there because you're really good at it, I apologize, but I've never met you then. Let me put it that way. We know people will sit down and they'll, you know, they'll go to work for a company and they'll be sitting at their desk and they've had the opportunity to fill out their, what funds do I pick in my mutual fund choice? And they ask the guy next to him, what did you pick? And then they pick that. And then they never change it. Funds have now gone through the default of a target date fund, which is not a bad idea to be perfectly honest, but there's other things to look at. And this is germane because I was reading earlier in the week an article out of 401k specialist magazine. The title of the article was, and this is going to be a very esoteric commentary here, but I thought it was just absolutely fascinating. The title of the article was how alphabeticity bias in 401ks sways outcomes. Alphabeticity is the alphabet. So most mutual funds and most 401k plans are going to list the mutual funds that are choices in their plan alphabetically. And this particular example, because this was a case study that was done, this had 13 funds to pick from, starting with Brandywine, Columbia, Acorn. I'm naming a couple. And these are an alphabetical ending with Vanguard as the 13th and final fund listed alphabetically. The 11th fund listed was Royce Pennsylvania Mutual Fund. And I'm not making any recommendations here, but Royce was 11 out of 13 on the list. They changed the name of the fund. Didn't change the fund at all. Changed the name of the fund to American Royce Pennsylvania Mutual. They moved, therefore, alphabetically to the top of the list, and they saw a 20% increase in the amount of money that they were getting compared to what they had been getting before as a choice inside that mutual fund. Now, to me, and again, don't take offense at this if you're listening to this, but people have no idea what they're doing. So they pick the first thing on the list, and they never change. So... 
I'm sort of fumbling for words here because when I read this, I thought, holy crime in Italy, that's exactly the kind of, I don't know, I just picked it because, you know, I knew the name or something. There is little to no thought process. And that's why the mutual fund, the 401k plans themselves have gone to this whole default idea of a target date fund because they know you're getting, that they're giving you diversification. They've also fidu fulfilled their fiduciary responsibility of having something in there that can't really blow up on you too terribly bad. And it's really easy to just pick one fund and forget it because that's the vast majority of the time what people do in their 401ks. So, you know, we give advice all the time on 401ks. Just here's the list. Here's the things you might want to look at. This is a really good mutual. This is a really good stock fund. This is a really good bond fund. Here's a really interesting, you know, emerging market fund if there's a choice, whatever it happens to be. But I thought the idea of whoever starts there, you know, so I don't know. I'm looking for the AAA growth fund to come out pretty soon and that should move to the top of everybody's list. So that's our take on how people go about the, the mutual fund selection process in their 401ks. I just think it's fascinating. So you've seen by now that all of these topics are truly not so simple. They're a little more complicated than you might think. Maybe as you're listening to the podcast, you have questions that have come out of today's episode. Charles, what does it look like to reach out to you and your team and just start to get some answers? Well, give us a call. You know, I mean, Mark mentioned it before. The phone number here is 480-513-1830. You can find us online at pelotoncapital.com. You can email me at charles at pelotoncapital.com. Everything starts with a conversation. You have questions. We have questions. You know, we sit down and talk about what might make sense. Can we help? We may not be able to help everybody, but, you know, that's what we try to do is see if, in fact, you are open to some new ideas. You're, you're looking for help. And if we're a good fit for you and you're a good fit for us, it's not complicated. It's just, you got to talk about stuff. It's really not. It's all about taking that first step. Like Charles said, we'd invite you to reach out. Give his office a call. Again, that number is 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Reach out and just take the first steps. If this stuff is confusing, don't worry. You can talk about all that in your visit. You can ask any questions you'd like to and just begin to get some answers. Just reach out. Give him a call at 480-513-1830. Charles, before we let you go this week, we have to take a question from the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. We do always enjoy hearing from our listeners out in the area, and so we thank you, Jeff, for writing in. Jeff says he's in Glendale. Thanks, Jeff, right nearby. Jeff says, I want to retire in five years when I turn 55. Is that a bad idea? It depends. My favorite answer. It depends. I mean, if you've got enough money and you have figured out how much it's going to cost you to live and how long you think you're going to live and you've done the math correctly, then you, I would say, you know, if that works, then good for you. There is one, you know, if you haven't done that, then you better do it because you need to know. There's one caveat and it's a big one and we run into it all the time that people just don't think about. And that is, you're 50 years old right now, in five years, you'll be 55, you wanna retire, you're not gonna get Medicare till you're 65. So how are you gonna pay for health insurance? Because that has become a giant hole in the financial planning budget for people. It's way more expensive than you think it's gonna be if you've been working for a company and you've got pretty good health insurance, you can COBRA for a while, but then that runs out and it's, you know, it just, it's the big financial, black hole that's been created 
by the way, the healthcare insurance has happened. We have multiple clients right now where older spouse, younger spouse, older spouse wants to retire and they can afford to retire. And then they have miscalculated uh, how much because the younger spouse isn't working and isn't Medicare eligible yet. It's been shocking to some of those folks who had made decisions and and they're finding out how much it's really costing them are, are made. So the healthcare thing is a big deal until Medicare can kick in, unless you've got just so much money, it doesn't matter. So hopefully, Jeff, that's you. If not, make this a very serious consideration and do some serious calculations to figure out how that's going to fit in your overall budget. Because if you're healthy and, and you're 55, you're potentially going to live another 40 years. That's a long time. Your money's got to last and you can eat it up in a hurry with healthcare issues. It certainly is a long time to make your money last. But Jeff, we thank you for writing in. We hope that maybe starts a conversation. And we would encourage you to reach out, get a further, more in-depth answer to your question. As always, you can submit your questions to be featured on the podcast. We hope you will. We enjoy featuring them each and every week. And Charles, glad to be back with you. Thanks, Mark. It's been fun. Missed it, as I said in the beginning. And uh, we'll keep doing them. We certainly will. Tune in again next time for another episode. And remember that your financial choices matter. Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.